0: A U-Turn, a podcast featuring conversations with interesting people who were on one career path but ended up somewhere entirely different. I talk with my guests about where they started, how and the why of big career changes they've made, and what work means to them today. This epi- episode, I'm talking to Garrick Napatian. Garrick graduated from law school in 2012 and for a short time worked as an attorney in Southern California. Today, however, he writes code for a living. That's right. He is now a programmer. I first heard of Garrick via the weekly interview podcast he does about Swift, Swift Coders. For listeners who aren't familiar, Swift is Apple's next-generation open-source programming language. The episode that I first listened to was the one where he interviewed Chris Lattner, who created Swift, which was a great get on his part. He did a great job with the interview, and I recommend you check out his podcast if you're interested in the Swift language or even programming in general. Garrick's story of career change intrigued me, so I reached out to him to see if he'd be interested in appearing on U-Turn, and he graciously agreed. So thank you so much for being on the show, Garrick. My
1: pleasure. Oh, what a great intro. I love it. I love it. My guests yeah. do
0: like those usually. I, I I try to do a little bit of research so that hopefully doesn't cross the line into creepy, you know, a little bit of LinkedIn am, here and whatnot.
1: No, it's great. I am impressed. I'm honored. Yeah. And just so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for being here again. So where did you grow up? I, I pretty much always start with that. And then I also follow up shortly with what did your parents do for a living? So Garrick, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living?
1: Sure. So I was born in Northern California in Modesto. Uh, I think I was like me too when we moved to Southern California. So, pretty much, you know, born and raised in California and raised mostly in Southern California. Uh, the valley, like we moved to, eventually moved to Moore Park, which is like near Ventura County. Uh, and then we moved to Valencia, which is like another valley of the valley, sort of over by Magic Mountain. And then, uh, so I was there for a long time and then moved to like LA where I lived. I've been living in LA since 2007. Uh, so like actually seven or 10 years now been living in LA. So yeah, pretty much California born and raised. And then my parents, so like my mom has been a nurse pretty much her whole life since she was like 16 or 17. She was a nurse in the Iranian uh, army. My parents are actually from Iran. We are Armenian. So like, you know, I don't know, Jews or Irish in America, like we are Armenians from Iran. But during the 19, um, like early 1980s, like my dad left in 79, my dad left in uh, 1980 because like the whole army, the whole Iranian revolution, my family left because I guess it was pretty crazy going on over there. So. Uh, yeah, so they're from Iran. My mom was a nurse, I guess, like in the army. That's what she told me. Uh, and she's been a nurse her whole life, still is a nurse. My dad worked for the um, import-export in Iran, like uh, in the Bay, I think in, it was Hamadan or Abadan, for this German shipping company called Liner, And he worked like in the part of the shipping company. Um, so yeah, that's what my parents did. Okay. Wow. Well, what is your dad? What has he done? Um,
0: since coming to the United States?
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. So, uh, somewhat of a sad story, but I'm happy to share it cause it really is like a part of who I am. Sure. Like my dad, when I was really young, I think like maybe nine or something, he got a brain cancer, like brain tumor. Um, and so pretty much like, you know, didn't really work, um, at that point. Okay. Um, and he's still alive. So, which is pretty crazy. Um, he had like chemo and all that stuff. My mom still is a nurse. Uh, my mom remarried uh, to my stepdad. Shout out to James, uh, who is a landscape architect uh, and wholesale and retail tree farmer, uh, Barron Brothers Nursery here in Fort Ventura County. And they basically grow trees, um, sell them wholesale or retail, and um, do like landscape design installation and maintenance. Uh, he's been doing that like since he was, I don't know, 16 started mowing lawns and now have a business. Like, you know, they have had a business for a really long time. They like install huge trees. Like they worked at, um, they worked at, uh, Evan Spiegel's house actually, you know, the oh, really? CEO of Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah. He totally. like bought some house and then my dad's there like installing these trees. So that's what like my dad, my stepdad does. He's like basically my dad pretty much. Cause I've known him since I was 12. Sure. Yeah. So
0: it's really interesting that this is happening again because I don't know, almost every guest I've talked to comes from a family uh, where there's some entrepreneurship, which is really interesting. And I don't know if it's just because of the people I'm talking to, it's kind of a small sample size, or if there's something to the fact that people who see entrepreneurship in their family kind of have this idea that they can go out and do something different or kind of do something on their own or whatever it might be, um, kind of breaking the mold. So that's kind of interesting. So I I always like hearing what what people's parents did growing up. So were you one of those kids who knew what you quote wanted to be when you grew up, uh, from a young age, or were you somebody who just kind of ended up somewhere?
1: Right. I, I wanted to, do something great. I wanted to be great. I wanted to do something significant. Um, I had like the idea of maybe being an actor. Uh, When I was young, maybe, you know, five years old, I remember I was going to be a lawyer. Like it was told, it was like sort of, it was foretold that I was going to be a lawyer. Dad wanted me to be a lawyer. Mom wanted me to be a lawyer. So like I always had that in my mind, like, oh, I'm just going to be a lawyer because that's what like my parents want me to do. Um, I guess they saw something in me, like saw this skill and plus they're immigrant, like immigrant parents. I was going to ask they, about
0: that because I think that's a common thing for immigrant yeah, families. Yeah, totally.
1: So immigrant parents, especially like Iran, like I think Indian, maybe like immigrant parents, they, they're like maybe a little ahead of the curve and they're like, no, go be an engineer. But like the, I guess Iranian, like think doctor or lawyer. Um, maybe now they're catching up and thinking like engineer is probably better. Uh, anyway, so like, or my dad wanted me to be like a pilot, I think too, or something like that. Hmm. So anyways, Garrick's going to be a lawyer. And so that's what I'm thinking. But to me, like when I think about what, you know, what I wanted to to be or what I was thinking about as a kid and growing up, I really had no idea. I just know that I wanted to do something significant.
0: Something significant, but you got this family pressure to go into law. So. You didn't yeah. know what it would be, though, what the significance was. And being a kid, I think it's hard to imagine what actual jobs are. <laughs> at least it was for me. Like, I had really no idea what, besides the obvious ones. You know, sure, I knew what being a lawyer was. Uh, but yeah, I think I'll, I'll, you don't know what usually you can do beyond those kinds of things. So
1: All I thought about when I was a kid was Coca-Cola and, like, Lucky Charms. <laughs> so sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I think your story is especially interesting to me, uh, looking at your background again on LinkedIn, because... I was a political science and history uh, double major in school, and I had thought about law school myself. My grandfather was an attorney, but didn't practice. Um, so I, I didn't end up going that route. But it's it's really interesting to me that you also kind of had this this family maybe feeling of, of becoming an attorney. So when you went to college, um, were you starting down this pre-law path right away, or did that come a little bit later?
1: Yeah. So I graduated high school, I had no idea about college, like that you were supposed to apply to college like before you graduated high school. Um so I ended up going to like Csun, which is like a like a Cal State college uh, here in, in California. And I'm taking like 300 level Jewish studies classes. Like I don't even I'm taking like a math class. I go to like the the final and I realize I hadn't even studied and I like, like what am I doing here in college? I have no idea. So um, I'm reading like this James Dean biography and like I'm pledging a fraternity and um, I'm like, OK, this is weird. I go on like a, um, a winter vacation and I'm reading this biography and I'm like, I want to be an actor. And and why am I pledging this fraternity? What am I doing at CSUN? So I quit. I go to a local community college. I start studying um, like acting and like film and creative stuff. And then, you know, as part of prerequisites, you have to take all these other classes. I take a political science class and the teacher's like really likes me. And he's like, you should study political science and you should be a political scientist. And I met like another friend who was thinking about doing kind of the same thing, like becoming a lawyer. So like the lawyer thing kind of creeped back in and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like I kind of gave up on the acting thing. So um, I just I just, you know, decided, okay, I'm going to go to law school, become a lawyer. And how did you like law school? Okay. So law school, I mean, so, you know, you go to, I went to a four year institution after the community college and that was like, cool. I became like good at school. You know, I guess I was always good at school, but I, I became good at school. And like in law school, you have to basically be good at school or you have to be good at studying and you have to study smart law school. It was, Fun, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like out of place. Maybe I'm kind of always just like this awkward guy and I felt kind of out of place. Didn't really like getting drunk all the time with everybody, like going to the bar review, I think it's called on Thursday nights. Um, (laughs) I
0: think that's pretty common in law schools for people that aren't aware. Like there's a heavy drinking culture for sure. Like it's very stressful and there's a lot of studying, like you said. So yeah, I think that's pretty common.
1: Yeah, so I felt a little out of place. I actually was going to quit. Um I go like I think it was my second year. I go into the counselor's room, office and I start crying and I'm like, "I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't want to be here." Counselor, you know, her job is to basically get you to stay in school cuz they want your tuition. But she was <laughs> right. she was really she was really nice. So like who knows, maybe I'm being a little being a little mean, but she was really nice. So she says to me, "Okay, that's fine that you want to quit. Take a day, think about what you'll do if you do quit. So I take a day and I couldn't think of anything. So I just stick, I stuck with it and I graduated. Um, yeah. So like law school for me, it's like kind of this thing I look back on and I'm like, dang, like I spent all this money and all this time. Um, ultimately though, maybe I needed to do that. to like push me towards what I want, like almost like a magnet, right? Like the mag, like We were the same, I guess. What is it? Opposites attract. Right. So maybe law school and I were the same and it was like pushing me towards the thing I wanted. Anyways, like through law school, I I found out what I did not want and it pushed me towards whatever it was that I did want. And and so, yeah, you know, like it costs a lot and I wasted some time, but ultimately I'm here. So I guess law school is good. (laughs) <laughs> what do you think – or do you think more positively it did
0: anything for you in your career in terms of skills you might have learned or a way of thinking? Because I feel like that's often the pitch nowadays, Definitely. especially with attorneys not being quite as hireable as they once were. They say, well, you don't need to practice law with a, a law degree. You can do lots of things. Do you feel like you gained some of those things from being in law school?
1: Definitely. I think there's at least two things. So one thing, uh, if you ever listen to Chris Sacca, he'll say, um, what was the quickest way for me to get a seat at the table? go to law school. And that's what he did. I didn't think of it that way. But when I go into a room or I'm at an interview, immediately the the person that I'm talking to or the person that's interviewing me um, has a certain outlook on who I am uh, because I went to law school, because I went to USC law school, because I passed the bar, you know, first time because I uh, worked as a lawyer immediately, like for good or for bad, most likely it's, it's good usually. And that's great. Like, yeah, it was an expensive sort of um, thing to like expensive bonus, you know, to get, but that's, that's really does happen. I think that makes Um, sense. Yeah. The other thing is, um, very related to programming is as a lawyer, you're doing a lot of research, writing, um, organization, uh, you know, organizing, you know, mental models in your head, um, figuring them out, putting them together, Um, You know, applying these rules. So I take comfort uh, in in the fact with my programming that I have really good skills um, in research and like reading comprehension, logic games like the LSAT, for instance. Um, So all those like skills, those are those are big skills like that you learn. You kind of learn those in law school. At least, they, maybe they bring them out of you. You know, when you study for the law school admission test, you have to practice those skills. So you or, either you already have those skills, and through going to law school and, and finishing law school, you hone them, or they bring, they they you get those skills by going to law school. And so, research and writing, man, that's a big part of programming. Um, and so, yeah. I never would have thought
0: about it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. And I should point out too, if people don't know who Chris Saka is, just a quick digression because it's a really interesting guy. Um, He's a venture capitalist, right? And I can't remember where he became most famous, but I first became aware of him through Gimlet Media which was founded by Alex Bloomberg. It's a podcast network. And the first season, uh, I think the first show that they did on Gimlet was a, about the creation of their business called right. Startup. And it was fantastic. And Chris Saka appears numerous times on the show and talks about venture capital and, and helps Alex kind of try to find his way in this crazy world uh, of an NPR reporter coming in and starting his own business. So uh, that's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, he's, a def- he's an interesting character. Sorry. So you've met him. <laughs> <laughs> or no, talk to him. Just, okay.
1: No, I've never met him. Just like, I've listened to lots of interviews oh, sure. uh, of him and he's, he's an interesting character.
0: Well, you, you do seem to be somebody who, and maybe this is also brought out by law school, but you're really good. Um, from what I can tell anyway, on in the internet of honing in on people who know things and soaking up knowledge from them. Like you've obviously, if you're uh, a professional programmer at this point, you've definitely managed to learn a lot on your own, which is really cool. And obviously we'll get there uh, to the programming part, but I just think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure where I you know, pick that up. Um, but what I've heard from people is like if you're interested in something. So let's say you're interested in programming, then go to those people who do that and speak to them and learn from them. And that was one thing that I did uh, when I was driving um, Uber. Um, like as a part of my story, you know, I was driving Uber and I would interview everybody that I would, that I would drive, you know, that all my passengers, at least the ones I thought were interesting, like I would interview them. Um, and so things that I do in my life, uh, I, you know, either naturally, I don't think very consciously, just like kind of naturally, I find the people that I admire, find the people that are doing like a really good job in their field. And yeah, just like serve them is a really important one first. Like I don't want anything from you. I want to serve you. What do you want from me? What can I do for you? And just learn from them. So through the podcast, I'm definitely doing that.
0: That's really cool. That's, and yeah, that's a great thing. I think that's a, um, a lesson that people listening can, can take for sure, especially if they're thinking about making career changes of their own. So when you finish law school, you got these skills, you paid a lot of money for your education. What did you do after that? Did you practice as an attorney?
1: Yeah. Okay. So you graduate and then you have to study for the bar. So I graduated like in June, uh, 2007, I think, no, 2012. Um, and then I'm studying for the bar until I take it later that year, like in, I can't remember, November or something like that. So that whole time I'm just studying for the bar. Um, and then after you take the bar, you have to wait like another four or three months or something for your, uh, results. So basically for a half a year, you know, six months, I'm studying for the bar, taking the bar, waiting for my results. I get the results, you know, I pass it. I get a job with a family friend doing personal injury uh, work. It's just him and I, it's his, uh, practice. And he basically is just taking me on Um, And I can, you know, I can just learn from him. And, you know, ultimately, it was an opportunity that I could make whatever I wanted from it, you know, Um, and I I chose to really not make much out of it, because (laughs) it was just, that's just the natural thing that happened. Um, I could have if I wanted to, like, you know, do the best and like, you know, help make his business like better. But that just didn't naturally happen. And that lasted about a year. Uh, let's see, like a year and six months or something. Yeah. And how did you realize that
0: it just, it wasn't for you? Because I assume that there was a realization at some point that this wasn't going to be the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm listening to podcasts, mostly, uh, mostly- um, the Imore I'm show with Renee Ritchie, and I actually tweeted this to R- Renee Ritchie once, and like I think he's just a really busy guy, and he never like got back to me. But like he really changed my life. Like he was one of the first people um, to change to change my life because I'm listening to Imore, I'm and I'm like I'm really interested in this technology stuff. I've always like had an iPod since 2005, so I look up um, like startup scene, like Los Angeles startup scene. I find this event in LA. I go to the event. I meet this guy, Krishna Gupta. Thank you so much, Krishna. He tells me, go to startup weekend. I go to startup weekend. I pitch an idea. If if you're not familiar with startup weekend, people get together, they pitch ideas, they form teams, they build products over a weekend, like a hackathon. They pitch those ideas and they win prizes. So I go to one of those, pitch an idea, um, form a team around someone else's idea, and we, we pitch it. I end up pitching it um, and it just had a blast. My my blood was on fire, just like having such a good time. And so all the while I'm working as a lawyer and then I go to another event, a hackathon and um, I, I do the same thing. But this time I, I pitch one of my ideas. We win like we form a, a team around that idea. We, we build it and we win. So that was really cool um, around like that same time. I actually thought like, hey, why don't I try to build an app And Objective-C was out and I try learning Objective-C. I'm like, this is really hard. Like, I can't, I can't do this. And that's why I end up, like, going to these hackathons to try to find other people.
0: And you'd never done any programming
1: previously, I'm assuming.
0: I had or not never much, anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I think maybe I went to, like, a C++ class, like, the first day in 10th grade, something like that. <laughs> and then, like, I think I walked out. Um, that Yeah, so really no programming whatsoever. Not even, like... Changing my MySpace page.
0: Sure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Objective C for people who aren't aware is I think it's a very challenging programming language to to get into, especially for a, a new person to programming. I think there's there's a lot of people who love it as a language, but I think those people tend to be pretty comfortable programmers already. So I can totally understand why it didn't stick with you. So you you tried that out, it wasn't working. What happened? Yeah,
1: this is around like spring of uh, – I, I tried it in January 2014. I, I go to the Startup Weekend and the Hackathon, that's like May 2014. And the, um, it's, it's in the summer and I'm uh, developing this product that you know we won at the Hackathon. I'm developing the product with this team, like two developers, over the summer. And I'm like really into this. And um, all the while I'm working as an attorney, my, my boss pulls me into his office. He's like, Garrick, what's going on? You're depressing me. I think that you need to take a break. Because I can't have you depressing me. Like, this is my business. I need to, like, I need to focus. And I said, you know what? You're right. Thank you so much. I want to focus on this um, this startup that I'm developing. It's Why were you depressing him? I've, I'm missing that. Uh, because of my just general like presence. Like, when I would go to work, I just wasn't into it. It's oh, just a natural. Sure. And he could yeah, tell. Just an, yep. And so, thank you so much to him. Uh, because without that, who knows if I would have been honest with myself, but he was, and like, man, we, we talked, um, you know, uh, a couple years later, like maybe six months ago. And like, I told him, I said, thank you so much. Like that was really, really crucial. So I, I just leave the office, you know, like I stopped working for him and I work on this, um, this startup idea full-time and I drive Uber. Like I had tried Uber, uh, maybe a couple months before just as like an experiment. Cause I'm interested in technology. But at that point I was like, yeah, I could just drive Uber. I don't need to make that much money. Um, and I can just drive Uber and pay my bills while I do this startup thing. So I spend the, like the next like six months, let's say like summer to, um, to, to the, the fall, like winter, I mean, um, January, uh, just like doing this startup thing and driving Uber. So I'm working with these two developers, uh, and I realize like, I know more about iOS development than they do in terms of like a technology standpoint. And I'm like, hmm, why am I working with these guys when I'm more into it than they are? All the while, I'm driving Uber. I'm interviewing people. I'm telling people like what I'm doing about um, my startup. And they're like, that's cool. And I'm interviewing people like learning. I interviewed him. Um, I drove Phil Dunphy. I don't know if you know Phil Dunphy, like Ty Burrell. And it's this like show modern family. Yeah. And he's a really famous guy now. He didn't he didn't get that breakthrough until he was 40 years old. So I'm interviewing these people like learning about their lives like, OK, I can do this and um, kind of like you are now, you know, and, and so like, it's the winter. I'm on winter break and I'm like consuming these WWDC videos in a worldwide developer conference like the Apple developer videos. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this another shot. Swift is out now. Swift came out um, about six months prior, right? And so January 2015 hits, I come back from like a family trip and I just say, okay, I'm going to give it another shot now that Swift is out. Uh, And so it was like this kind of interest that did not die that then I said, I'm going to give myself the chance to explore. Uh, I wasn't I didn't say I was going to be a developer. I just said I was going to explore, maybe build this app by myself and just like just explore. Yeah. So that was January 2015. Do you think
0: that you would have tried this again if Apple hadn't released Swift?
1: I think not, and I told you know I told Chris Lattner that in person and over the podcast, and yeah, I, you know, he changed my life, and everybody else that created Swift and Apple definitely changed my life,
0: which is unbelievable when you think about the impact that that has. Because again, Objective C has been around for twenty plus years, I think, and I think people felt like it was fine. Uh, certain people were agitating for something new. John Syracuse famously had been predicting that Apple needed a new programming language uh, since, I can't remember what year it was, a long time. And it just didn't come. It didn't happen. And then the Swift thing emerges, and I think a lot of the old-time Objective-C people were skeptical because it it doesn't look like Objective-C at all, but it is infinitely more approachable. And I think that your story kind of proves that, I would say. So I I think that's incredible to hear.
1: Yeah, and I think I'm I'm not the only one. I think that there's a lot of people out there like me who are now becoming or interested in becoming programmers because of the approachability of Swift. And when you hear Chris Lattner talk about it, and you just look at the language, like it was designed to be approachable. Look at Swift Playgrounds for iPad. You know, it's designed to be approachable. And that's like the really, really genius part on Apple and, you know, and, and whoever was involved in making this, this language, like making it approachable because, uh, because yeah, I mean, just like, yeah, changing people's lives. We need more developers. Oh, totally.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's approachable, but yet it's still incredibly powerful too. So you can really dig deep if you need to. Um, so you, what was this app that you were building on your own? What was it you were inspired to make? Yeah.
1: So the first app I wanted to make it, I, it's called slink. I, so here's the thing. I'm a working iOS developer I have two meetups here in Los Angeles. We have over 1,000 members. I have like over 10, you know, t- we have over 10 teachers. I work for Pharma's Insurance full time. I have zero apps in the App Store. Pretty interesting. Uh, and it's kind of this guilt. I have a little bit of a guilt because like the app that got me here uh, is, is Flyer. And it, I, it, it's not in the App Store. And I kind of have this guilt like, hey, you got me to where I am. I should like put you in the App Store. <laughs> Um, so, but the first app was called slink. It was like, um, basically like Instagram for links. So like, I I love sharing links with people and I just want like a way to keep track. It's like collaborative link sharing. Have you heard of like delicious? Oh yeah. Or like something like that. Like basically like links and you're collaborating over the links so you can talk about the links. You don't lose them. There's like things that are similar to it, but you know, I just had an idea of how I wanted it to be. Um, then I pitched the flyer idea. Because I come from a, like a entertainment background. I played in a band for like six years. I played harmonica in a blues band. The Downtown Train, you could look it up. And uh, so flyers were really important to our shows. We had a weekly. We would do every Monday night. We'd do all these other kind of events um, throughout. And flyers were really important. So um, like right before I went to the hackathon, I was like, hmm, what should I pitch? Like, oh, I remember I had this flyer idea. So that was flyer. Basically like um, – Instagram type of a thing, but just for flyers. So so you open up the app. I show you flyers based on your time and location. Uh, and, th- and that's it. And so yeah. that's a really cool idea. <laughs> Actually,
0: <laughs> um, I'm super into music and you know, I've, I played in bands growing up a little bit and that, yeah, I, it's awesome because you always see these, these flyers for shows and there's always really cool art and stuff going to them. And I don't think anything really exists like that that's so catered to such a specific uh, audience. So that's a really cool idea.
1: Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. Maybe I'll put it out there one day.
0: <laughs> so you, you're kind of doing these apps on your own. Um, and then eventually you get a job as a, an actual, like, quote, real life iOS programmer working for a big company. How did you make that happen? Did you just have these apps as, as things you could show off and show off your code or?
1: Right. So I, uh, I'm, it's January, 2015. I'm still driving Uber and I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to do programming. So you, you know, fast forward, basically, like a year, um, so to say like to, you know, maybe like nine months, it's, um, like the fall of 2015. And I'm like, I really like doing this development thing. Like I'm going to just keep doing it. And, uh, I need a way to get into the tech scene more, you know, embed myself in the tech scene. Um, had a friend, he's, he had a a startup. Uh, he hired me to be a sales, um, kind of sales, like general purpose, like guy, but I started out as sales. So I was like, we had a it, it was um, a delivery platform. We were targeting um, at the time mostly marijuana delivery companies. It's called Onaway. Um, so actually, at the time, I was calling all these companies and saying, "Hey, do you want to use Onaway to like manage your deliveries?" So I'm just doing like sales. Then all the while, I'm still building Flyer like in in my in my spare time. And um, my my boss or you know the CEO is like, "Hey, I see that you're you know you're really into making these apps. Like, why don't you make an app for for our startup?" I said, OK, I spent two months building their app all by myself and I fell in love. So before that, it was like I was just making Flyer for myself and maybe doing like my own startup. Once I built once I was able to focus and I was doing it in the spare time, right? I was just working on Flyer like at night when I was able to focus full time on programming. I fell in love. And so it went from programming to make a, an app and a startup to I want to program full time because I want to get paid to do something I love and I love programming. So once I had that in my mind, that was my next goal was how do I get paid to do this full time? Because on a way they didn't want me to, to program full time. That was just like a two month experiment. And then they kind of had to put it off to the side while priorities changed. So then I'm doing sales again and then I'm doing the QA and all this kind of stuff. So um, as soon as I I decided, like, I want to work full time, I just started putting feelers out there. I had um, applied to work at this startup um, in uh, here in L.A. called Splore. And they really liked me. You know, they really liked my personality, et cetera. But my experience, like they couldn't, you know, they didn't really like my experience, you know. Um, So six months go by and that's six more months of of uh, programming experience. I have my podcast. I have my meetups and uh, I see that they're hiring again, that same company, Splore. And they say, you know what? We still really like you. We have um, everyone we interview. We like you more than them. And I'm not trying to like, you know, blow my own horn, but that's what they said. And they, we wish we would have hired you um, back then. We ended up going with someone else and it was like a waste of time and money. Um, here's a coding challenge. If you complete it, we'll hire you. So I, I take the coding challenge. I go above and beyond. Um, you know, I learn like programmatic auto layout just for them. And uh, and, and and they uh, they hire me at the same time. My friend Yareev, shout out to Yareev, changed my life. He, um, Farmers Insurance is uh, recruiting him. He just got a new job. So he has, he says, like, I'm fine, but you should hire Garrick. I met Yareev at my meetup. You know, I wasn't networking. He came to my meetup. He ended up teaching everybody. It was amazing. And and so he says, hire Garrick. So I go through the interviewing process with Farmers and I'm like, hmm, I don't really want to work at Farmers. You know, it's like a corporation. I end up uh, taking the job at at Explore while I'm still going through the interview process with Farmers. I work at Explore for three weeks. Farmers uh, wants to hire me because I did a coding challenge. I killed the coding challenge. I have my podcast. I have my meetup. I'm a lawyer. And um, I tell Explore, I'm like, look, guys, I have to take this job. You know, they're going to they're going to. Basically pay for me to go to, to this consulting agency they're going to teach us like extreme programming and i and i I leave and I go work at farmers and now i 've been there almost a year it 'll be a year may twenty third oh that's an amazing story
0: i, I just it's hard for me to, <laughs> for me to even wrap my head around it because of all
1: these things that you were doing
0: and you had these this, these meetups and you're just clearly so dedicated to becoming a programmer it's like you willed yourself to become a programmer and to have people hire you to write code for a living um, yeah. which I like 15 years ago, it wouldn't have even been possible to do that because I mean, I I mean, it would have, but you would have had to buy all these books and who knows what language you would have even gotten started with. And you know, the app store didn't exist. The iPhone didn't exist. Like, it's just, it's nuts for me to think about how, what the world is like in 2017 enabled you to do these things, which is just incredible. So how do you like your uh, corporate job? (laughs) Because <laughs> you're worried about it, and I, I totally get that, right? I mean, it's the startup scene seems really cool and exciting, and you get to work on these really interesting apps. But yet again, I mean, Farmers is a huge company with a lot of customers. There's a lot of impact to be had there. So, how's that going?
1: Yeah, so uh, Farmers before us, like, so we're the mobile team at Farmers. Before us, there was uh, you know zero full time mobile developers like App Farmers, uh, and. Uh, farmers is going through a agile transformation and our team is at the tip of the spear as they say so like they built our team to not only take over development of the mobile app, but to drive the agile transformation of a 20,000 person, you know, a uh, 20,000 employee company. Wow. Um, so, so there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot going on there. The opportunity is huge. Um, there, there's so many, there's so many positives. So yes, let, let's like, let's start with like the misgivings or like the doubt that I had. So yeah, I don't look at myself as like a corporate guy. I was one. I almost didn't take this job just because it's like a corporate kind of thing, you know. And I spoke with a friend, um, and he's like, "Look, you're going to get great experience, and um, that's invaluable." And uh, the opportunity really was too good to give up. Like they, I spent the first month at Carbon Five here in um, what's well, in Santa Monica, here in Los Angeles, um, learning extreme programming, and like test-driven development. Git flow from the command line. We were doing like functional, reactive, MVVM. It's just like continuous integration. It's like all this stuff. <laughs> so basically I got this like crazy like education crammed in a month. Like I, I didn't do any meetups. I didn't do any podcasts. I didn't – you know, I, I had to – like my brain was overloaded. So it was like amazing opportunity. So I couldn't pass it up. Um, so, there, so there's that. <clears throat> the other thing that uh, – the opportunity that we have that we're working on and that we have – is to uh, use the best in software development process that's out there and pull that into farmers to like to create a so, an end-to-end software or product, even just product development process from ideation all the way to you know, delivery into the user's hands. Uh, which is not there, you know, at least in an Agile um, way at Farmers. And for non-programmers, I should maybe
0: do a quick point of clarification. Agile is a software methodology that is much, it's meant to be much more agile as you'd expect than the way that software used to be developed, um, which was much more planned out by like project managers and, and people of that nature. Um, you know, waterfall was a software methodology that usually required things be done in a certain order of steps. It was very static. It was always hard to estimate how long things were going to take scope, always expanded, and it was pretty much a mess. Right. And so then agile now for people again, who are not familiar is really about empowering, I think developers and other people to kind of, own the process and that'd be more flexible and use things like two week sprints to get things done and user stories and all these other really powerful concepts. And, um, just saying as a developer myself, like to be part of something like that at a company, the size of farmers has to be an enormous undertaking, but also incredibly exciting. So I can, I can hear that in your voice, that opportunity, <laughs> which is great.
1: Yeah. So it is, it is exciting and it also is hard because we're sort of doing it from a bottom uh, up approach. There is, definite support at the top. Uh, yet there's all this, um, sort of these barriers at the top that you can't just break those overnight. And so it's sort of a bottom up and yeah, so there is a lot of challenge. It's always exciting. I think it's one, it's like a good job for someone like me, um, because I'm not just going to sit here, uh, on my laurels and like accept, you know, good enough. So I think maybe that's also another reason why they hired me. Um, yeah, so the, it's, it's exciting. And I think a good way to explain like the waterfall versus like agile too is like it's good software design like to me the way you develop like the way you organize a company the way you organize a team and the way you develop software is exactly like you is exactly like you design good software it's 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 interesting we could talk more about it but that's that's sort of how i feel like agile is sure. doing did I do it justice when I was describing it? No, a, you did. A, you a, did.
0: High level. Again, for maybe non-developers that might be listening, but it it's definitely, I think, taking over more and more big companies. Like, it, it started on a smaller scale, and now pretty much every large company that wants to attract developers is moving this direction, and and uh, it sounds like Farmers is the same way. So yeah. I'm guessing that tr- uh, traditionally then, they were more waterfall uh, with their yep. software, and it sounds like they didn't even have a mobile team. So I'm guessing, did they use third-party uh, developers yep. whenever they needed an app? Okay, so they didn't yeah. control that and own that themselves at that point.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like you. they would, you know, have a document of all the the specs, the requirements. They'd hand it over to the developer and they'd be like, this is how much we're going to charge and we're going to take six months and we'll see in six months. It's kind of like how, you know, I think that's kind of how a lot of waterfall people, you know, uh, do it yeah i think you're
0: right and i think companies have realized now that it's too important like these mobile apps and everything your your website these are all touch points with your customers and because there's so much great thinking in technology right now if you don't do that your competitors are going to and you're going to risk losing your customers so yeah
1: yeah. so like corporate corporate job it's interesting Uh, i just try to focus on like the amazing opportunity that i have in terms of like learning and also leaving behind so amazing things that I'm learning and will continue to learn and like leaving behind, um, you know, whenever the day comes that like, I do leave farmers, like we'll I'll have been a part of like this legacy of like end to end, you know, agile product development. It's really cool.
0: So what does an average day look like for you as a developer who works in a, a fairly corporate environment?
1: Yeah. So we, uh well we're agile, so it's always changing. Um, I can say like what, it's been this week or like kind of last week this week we're doing uh, stand up every other day so stand up um you know you have your morning meeting and we're all standing up um i guess it's like supposed to save time so we'll <laughs> we'll meet monday for stand up uh and then after stand up we'll do our ipm or iteration planning meeting where we go over uh, new user stories we'll estimate them uh for the points right and that's how like yeah. Anyways. So for non-programmers, what is a user story in software development? Uh, so I can't remember the guy's name, but like the guy that invented, um, you should watch this video. I'll try to find it. And he talks about how he invented extreme programming, like basically from the seat of his pants. And a user story says something like, you know, as a user, I want to be able to log in so that I can view my account. You know, and then like there'll be maybe there'll be some kind of spec like by the designer that says this is what the UI and UX should look like. So we'll have all these user stories, which are essentially like feature requests. And uh, we sit around the table and we talk about, you know, what what it's going to take to implement it. And then once we're all ready, we um, we say like one, two, three, and we raise our hands and we use Fibonacci sequence. So one, uh, three, four uh, five, eight, we go up to eight, I think. And, uh, we decide on a number for points. And then like, um, when you finish a story, you get those points and then the project manager can see like your velocity, like how many points you earned and velocity should like be pretty steady. Like sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, but it should be pretty steady. And then that's like how you can gauge, um, you know, when you will be able to deliver certain features. So like, that's what, um, Monday looks like uh, you know, so we do stand up and then we do IPM that goes until maybe like, so we start at 10, maybe it goes to 11. It depends. And then I just, um, program mostly, uh, by myself. Sometimes we pair, we've been pairing less lately. I, I kind of miss pairing actually. And I, I tell my coworkers like, I miss pairing with you. So we'll try to um, pair, but yeah, I'll just be programming, uh, working on my story. And, uh, like I'll, I'll go to. We use Rally. Like we were using Pivotal Tracker, which was nice. We use Rally. It's like, ah, oh, man, it's not good. So we use Rally. I get my story. I um, I start it. Like I'll create a branch. I do git all from the command line. Um, start like start a branch, and I just start working on it, and then uh, eventually like commit it and push it up, and do a PR, do code review, merge it in, uh, and continue, rinse and repeat. So that's like that's that's like basic. Uh, Kind of, it's the general software development for us. Um, Wednesday, so we skipped Tuesday, uh, like no meetings Tuesday t- uh, this week, and then Wednesday we did another um, stand up. Skipped stand up on Thursday, and then we did a Friday. Uh, we did stand up and reflection. So reflection, we all sit together in a circle, like in the conference room, and we use this app called Stickies, made by Carbon Five, Stickies.io, and we all write these Stickies down. Like, I wish that we had, you know, more snacks or I like that I finish this story in time and people say what they wish and what they liked. And we all kind of share and reflect on the week. Um, and then in, in between that, you know, just, just programming. Um, yeah, I work uh, in the office or so I work remotely. I've been trying to work re- more remotely um, now that I've been with the company for almost a year. So yeah, that, that's pretty much it. What like a typical day is like just trying not to do any meetings. I try to have one API to communicate with me, which is like Slack. Um, and then like I have a other, other APIs like Rally. I get my stories through Rally. I wish you could all be through one thing, but like I have like email, um, Slack, and like Rally. And like I try not to have too many distractions and just program. Slack's getting closer though. And I, I wonder, is there a Rally
0: integration that you guys could use because Slack has so many third-party integrations? yeah. So, but
1: there's, there's like an issue with our Slack and stuff. <laughs> Not remember, to get too deep at, in the weeds here, but. Yeah, <laughs> no. But remember, we're at like a old, you know, an old company and like. At so least you have Slack of, though. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We use this thing called FlowDoc and for some reason FlowDoc is like perfect and everything works. So we have like our GitHub integration, Rally integration, like everything. So yeah, if we wanted to, we could have everything get integrated with like the one communication tool so I could get my stories through, you know, Slack. Um, and just communicate through Slack. Cause to me, I think like, it's good to have face to face and, and like, you know, visual. So if it was video and it's good to be in person and talking, but I think for the most, like most of the conversations when people are exchanging information, I think one API is better than multiple. So like you and I have one API right now, like I hear your voice and you hear mine. And so I think like through Slack, it's like kind of mostly one API. It's just text. And I think we can be more efficient that way. And so, again, it goes back to what I said about like I think organizations and processes should be designed just like good software, like almost like a Unix program, you know, just like one input, one output.
0: Right. Uh, versus having to track down some email from somebody or in some other piece of software communication. If you can just kind of keep things all coming through the same place, then everybody's on the same page, ideally. Yeah. Which yeah. I, yeah. I'm definitely with you in that regard. So when you look at your life today, which you just described, basically it's a lot of programming. Um, you're in an agile environment, so you have stand-ups every other day and you're working on your stories and you're just plugging away. And you look back at your life as an attorney um, during that time when you were working for the personal injury firm. I mean, how... I've got to believe that this life is so different now. How does it compare in your mind? Like, can you even remember what it was like to do that
1: versus what you do now? Uh, so I I try not to think about it. It wasn't traumatizing. Uh, <laughs> it just, like, was sure. not – it wasn't exciting. And I just really was not excited or happy. Um, yeah, I was very um, in a despair kind of, like, feeling, actually. There were times when I felt very desperate and, like, very – depressed and like you know like I mean like very even though I never would have done anything about it like it was like to to have the feeling that I know that if I find something that I am passionate about I will just you know crush it I will be so happy you know I'll be happy and I'll do an excellent job and to not know what that is it's very like a despair kind of a thing it's like you want to just find it but you can't and, and it's and you can't find it it's hard to find it because you're so sad it's like right um so I try not to think too much about it but it, it was like you know I, I was still having a good time in my life but like when I would go to work it was like I was just not really caring too much about it um so but now I mean I love what I do I I uh, wake up and I'm just super stoked and I just go to work and I I mean, look, I still have bad days and things like that, but I just love what I do. Uh, Now, in terms of like physical, um, this is something interesting. Like when I was sitting in, when I was working as a lawyer, I was sitting in like a sort of an office or a cubicle thing that was in like a suite, like an office suite that was in this building, right? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be, and I'm just on a computer and like, I don't want to do this. Now, physically, I'm not really that much different, but what am I, and, and physically, what am I doing? I'm working with a computer. Most of what I was doing with uh, being a lawyer was like working on a computer, you know, um, doing research and writing and stuff like that. But what is my mind doing and how does my mind feel and how does my mind respond is completely different. And that is what's really important to me. Uh, it's important that I'm super engaged, a high level, like, my mind is operating at, like, peak, peak, like, excitement and and just uh, efficiency. Like, my mind, personally, my mind, other people are different. My mind is made to solve problems. And in general, humans are – their minds are made to solve problems. But, you know, mine is just – it really is meant to solve problems. Like, I love solving problems in simple ways, beautiful ways, and complex ways. And software uh, programming, like, allows you to do all those. Oh, and totally. so, yeah – it's just, uh, it's just totally and, – and, but also the, the, the creative thing, which was really important at first, which I haven't actually thought too much about lately. Um, as a lawyer, not too much creativity, but as a programmer, you have the opportunity to be very creative. Um, and so that was really important to me. No, no, and, and that makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. So looking back on it night and day, super stoked. Um, can't even believe how I got here. Yeah,
0: it it's it is mind-boggling, and I think that your story is especially cool because, uh, again, you spent a lot of money in this law degree, not to belabor the point too much, but I think a lot of people in your position would have felt really trapped by that and thought, well, you know, I did it, and I don't really want to do it anymore, but, I, you know, whatever, I have this degree, and it was expensive, so, well, you know, I'm just going to be a lawyer, but you didn't let that define you for the rest of your life, and I think that that's an incredibly powerful example, so I think
1: that's pretty cool. Yeah, I just took took the risk you know just took the leap i had to um i just i didn't think too much about it i mean i did i thought to myself like i don't i don't like what i'm doing i know i can do something else that i want to do something else i don't know what it is so let me just you know explore i drove uber for pretty much like two years almost it it took two years from quitting being a lawyer to getting a job at at farmers full-time so like that experiment was two years um, so I had a, a full year of just like, I don't know what I want to do and I'm just going to try things. And so, uh, and, but I still have that, that, ri- that sort of guilt, you know, I'm, I'm still a licensed attorney. I'm in active status. I still pay my dues because yeah, it's a lot of like time and money that I, that I spent. And so I'm not going to just waste it. Cause if I stop paying those dues, like, you know, I'm, I won't have my license. I'd have to go through the whole process again. So I'm still, I'm still keeping it. Um, Although I don't think I'll ever be a lawyer ever again. You know, like I'm not going to practice. Oh, it's like you know, when you're a lawyer, everyone's like, hey, you're a lawyer. Like help me with this thing. It's yeah. like, oh, so glad I had a few of those lingering around. Um, and it's like I have none of those. And it's just like, oh, please don't talk to me about it. Um, but yeah, so going back to like the risk, like I follow my nose is how I like to say it. You know, my nose is like the first thing in, you know, in that sort of um, space, like it's in front of me. And so I can't help but follow my nose. And that's what I did. Um, I just felt what, you know, I just followed sort of my gut feeling, what felt good and just went for it. Uh, luckily, though, I had a support you know network. I had my fiance, my parents, uh, family, friends. Right. So. Which that's come up in every, every
0: interview I've done with people about career change. They've all said the same thing. They have said that support of their loved ones, their significant other family, all that. Has been so important. So that's that's really interesting to keep hearing that as being a common theme.
1: Yeah. So if you're thinking about doing something similar, the best thing you can do is be honest with yourself and be honest with those around you, and let them know this is how how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. And uh, people who love you, who believe in you, they will support you. Um, so long as like what you're saying is you know rational. Um, and, and the people that are not true to you and who don't believe in you, um, will probably try to make excuses for you not to do it. But everyone that, that loves me and that believes in me, um, supported me and understood because I, I didn't just say like, okay, I'm going to quit and screw you. See you later. I said, I'm quitting being a lawyer. I'm driving Uber, uh, to pay for what I you know, need to pay for while I figure out what I want to do. I think I like this tech thing. I'm going to follow it and see I'm going to give myself six months and see like where it goes. And um, my mom was crying. She said, my son's a taxi driver. My stepdad was like, (laughs) yeah, she was crying like my son's a taxi cab driver. And my dad, my stepdad was like, no, I, you know, I think you have a good head on your shoulders and that makes sense. Like, but like when six months come by, we're going to talk again. So, yeah. Wow. Well, and you,
0: you mentioned law and, and not feeling like you could be very creative, but I did want to throw out something that I learned in, in one of my previous episodes. Have you heard of David Sparks before of Mac Power Users podcast? Yeah,
1: yeah. and I saw that you interviewed yes. him and I wanted to bring that up too.
0: Yes, super fascinating guy because he was burnt out after 20 plus years for a firm and he just opened his own shop because he still loved being a lawyer, he just wanted to be a different kind of lawyer and he's always had this Mac Power User stuff in the background and he's kind of been able to be creative with his law career because he started his own business and he kind of does it his way. Uh, He actually, uh, reviewed a contract for my wife, which was amazing. So we did this over Skype and this is the kind of business he runs now, which in in 2017 is possible. It wasn't possible 20 years ago. So I thought that was really cool to to learn from him.
1: Yeah. I learned about Max Sparky, uh, You know, at some point during my transition and he was an inspiration, he was someone who was a lawyer that was very into technology. And so I remember thinking about him a lot, you know, possibly reaching out to him and seeing if I could work with him or just in general being inspired. Um, by him. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a happy coincidence that you interviewed him. And uh, yeah, well, I also wanted to bring it up. So that's really cool. Yeah, that's that is awesome. And you should definitely reach out sometime. Anyway,
0: he's a super nice guy and and really easy to talk to. So yeah, yeah, very cool. So, I mean, we're getting near the end here, I think, but I think the last thing I wanted to ask, and you may have kind of already answered this, but I'm going to ask it again, is if you could go back in time before you made this change, before you became a programmer, and tell yourself one thing or give yourself a piece of advice now that you've been through it and you've done it, what would that be? Putting you totally on the spot, so take your time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that I would tell myself, uh, follow your nose, and I would know what that meant. And so I, I think maybe it's hard for other people to understand what that means. But uh, to me, I I think, uh, I think about things sort of like maybe 50% and then the other 50% I just kind of do and I go. And so you kind of have to find your, your method. But for me, a lot of what I do is just natural. Like I just do it because that's how, that's my nature. Like uh, people always say like, I'm, I'm the Ram. You know, like my my sign, like, uh, you know, I'm Aries, like my son's whatever, sun sign is like Aries and I'm the Ram and that's like what the Ram does. The Ram just like does, you know? And sometimes that gets me into trouble. And so a lot of like what I do is like trying to learn how to be better at that. Um, so for, for, if I was to give myself advice, like, you know, going back to that moment, yeah, I would just say, look, man, follow your nose. And if my nose was telling me, um, just go for it. You got to quit this law thing and, and go after this kind of tech, this random startup kind of tech thing. Um, that's what I would have done. Um, but in general, like general advice for anybody uh, that is thinking about making a transition, I think uh, you have to just give yourself the time and space to explore another possibility without any uh, like constraints, I never told myself I was going to be a developer when I was first starting out. I just said that I'm interested in this and I want to see where it goes. You know, it started out as like developing an app and like try. I thought I was going to be a business development kind of product person like a Steve Jobs or something like that. You know, I never told myself I was going to be a developer um, until I realized I fell in love with it. So a general advice to, to someone out there is give yourself the time and space to explore. You owe that to yourself. Because uh, if you don't, you'll never know, right? You never know until you try. Well, you only get one life, right? And I think people,
0: you just get, it's easy to get comfortable, right? In whatever it is you're doing. And, you know, the older you get, the more risky changes seem to be. And I think it's just easy to fall into that rut. And I think a lot of people have dreams. They have things they want to try, have things they want to do, but it's just scary to think about doing them. So. I think your story is an amazing account and hopefully somebody can, can take something from it. And, and maybe somebody's going to be tweeting you and saying, hey, Garrick, you changed my life because I, I heard uh, your podcast interview or I heard you talking to somebody on Swift Coders or whatever it might be.
1: Well, you have a podcast. You know what it's like. I'm sure you get those messages. I have actually, and, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do get those messages. And um, I mean, this is why we do what we do. You know, uh, we do it because like we have an experience and we want to share it with people in the hopes that they benefit from it. And, um, if, if you're listening, you're probably in that situation. And, and so, um, you know, listen to more of, of this type of stuff, go talk to more people and get inspired. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get messages like that, you know, cause I have my podcast, I have my meetup. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's a blessing. I'm just happy to help.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Garrick. I, I really appreciate it. Your story is amazing and I'm really glad you shared it tonight. My
1: pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: Well, good luck with everything and uh, hopefully you, you interview some more awesome guests like Chris Latner in your podcast. <laughs> I will. All right. Thank you.